What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 31 of the Triage Method podcast. I'm here with Mr. Paddy Farrell, who has been enjoying the fine weather here in Ireland this week. How are you, Paddy? I am absolutely fantastic, Gary. How are you? Are you, are you enjoying the World Cup, yeah? <laughs> I actually did catch a glimpse of the World Cup earlier because my dad was watching it. I don't watch it, but uh, up Russia. Yeah, привет, как but uh, Russia beats Spain. Fuck yeah! It's too easy these days. Um, but anyway, Gary, what are we talking about today? I believe we are supposed to finish off our discussion on energy systems, if I am correct. And hopefully, this time you might actually, you know, put some sort of an opinion in rather than just letting me talk for I don't know, whatever, fifty minutes straight. Yeah. If any, if anyone thinks it's my fault, which I'm happy to take the blame for, just go back and listen to the podcast. And listen to Paddy ramble on. You, you know I'm probably listening to it anyway. But anyway, we are going to continue today and talk a little bit about energy systems. This time more applied. Hopefully make it a little bit more interesting than the last one. Um, and basically what we want to do in this in this podcast is kind of take all of the, the pieces that we put together in the last one and talk about what it means for your nutrition practices. Because realistically, unless you are interested in understanding the mechanisms of exercise physiology like the main reason of understanding all this stuff is to make nutritional or training decisions so that's pretty much where we're going to be going with this yeah so if you haven't already listened i think it's episode 29 yeah last one was 30 that was the discussion on our kind of review of frc and um, so yeah if you haven't listened to it already go back episode 29 i did get a good bit of feedback on instagram people saying they did enjoy it they enjoyed getting deeper into that science stuff i know gary likes to keep things like stupid simple because well he is stupid and so any any discussion of science you know makes his eyes glaze over um but yeah a lot of people did say they enjoyed it obviously for a lot of people it kind of goes over your heads and you're kind of like oh like like do i ever really need to understand this stuff that in depth uh, and realistically, most of you guys don't, but do understand that there is stuff going on behind the scenes that if you have a, an educated plan, that is what, or that is what should be at least informing that plan. So to kind of just really, really quickly recap, you've got anaerobic and you've got aerobic. Anaerobic, we're talking stuff like, we'll say efficiency at the nervous system level efficiency at the cellular level enzymatic stuff that kind of stuff then the aerobic stuff we're talking stuff like heart and vascular system and i don't know like the, the number of mitochondria you actually have right so that's real quick that's the, the the adaptations that allow you do stuff from training those two systems either together or differently as we said in the last one a lot of the energy system stuff is continuous if you want to call it that in that it doesn't just go oh you're on the the creatine phosphate system here now and then you're on to this anaerobic glycolysis now and then you're on to this like oh you're on to the aerobic system now it's like no it doesn't just delineate one doesn't switch on and then turn off and then the next one switch on and turn off it, it, it kind of goes continuously and certain fuel systems will be going even though you're using predominantly another one the common one that we see and the one that you see a lot of people butcher is saying that resistance training is anaerobic because yes if you look at it from one one time shot you would say 
yes, this set here is anaerobic. However, the fact that you do multiple sets, usually with incomplete rest, would dictate that that entire session becomes more and more aerobic as you go on. And again, you don't even have to look at the, the studies on this, but you, you can look at like repeated sprint efforts and like the more sets of sprints they do. So the more they do those repeated sprints, the more aerobic it becomes. And again, this, this makes sense intuitively when you think of it yourself, either if you have resistance trained or if you have done kind of sprinting, you know, the first set, you're, you're, you're great. You're out the gates. You're like, boom, I'm full energy. I feel great. Feel awesome. You know, that, that anaerobic system is firing on all cylinders. And then if you don't give yourself complete rest, you start noticing a, a drop off in your performance. You don't have that pop, that kick, uh, either in your set of resistance training or in your, your sprinting. And then the more you do, the lower and lower you feel energy store wise, I'd say, you know, whatever you want to call that, you don't have that pop, the more you do. And that's because, especially if you're not giving the aerobic system time to clear out all the, the metabolic stuff and refacilitate the anaerobic system working, you know, you're going to notice the performance decrement until you've at least got your aerobic fitness up a good bit, which we'll discuss later down the line in this episode. Um, but yeah, so you, you probably have seen this intuitively. As you progress with your sets, your performance drops off a little bit, right? Gary, would you agree with that? Most people would see that happen. Yeah, exactly. And generally, the further you dig into, like, towards failure, you're going to see it drop off even more because you are pushing to those higher thresholds of effort. So you're going to see it drop off more then. And again, this is why you would see people do, like, if you are truly, uh, we'll call it an anaerobic sport, you know, you've got something like powerlifting, you know, you will, they, you'll just see them take longer rest periods. And that's to allow and to facilitate both the aerobic and the anaerobic system to fully recuperate and facilitate you going for a maximal effort. It doesn't have to be like a true max effort, like you're not going for a 3RM or a 5RM or whatever, but you're able to put in enough intensity into that set to get the reps that you're, you're looking for. So that's why you will take these longer rest periods because you know the energy system itself has to recover so that you can put forth your your greatest effort into that set and again that makes sense when you consider that if this is an anaerobic sport like powerlifting and um, you you have all this stuff going on at the, the cellular level and you have all this stuff going on at the nervous system level and that takes a little bit longer although it's more efficient it takes a little bit longer to recover again not it's not as it doesn't recover as quickly as the aerobic stuff because you know you've got this You've got your heart, this vascular system, and that's the stuff that needs to be recovered. Obviously, we're kind of forgetting about a whole host of other things, but they're they're the main things. And um, again, if you want more information on all that kind of stuff, either get your ass in the militia or go back to uh, episode twenty nine. Right. So that's kind of the preamble to that all. Right. So how do we use energy systems and a discussion and knowledge of energy systems to guide our overall thought process around training, Gary? What are your thoughts? Do you think that people use a knowledge of energy systems, use an intelligent approach to training with a foundational knowledge of energy systems, or is it just kind of haphazardly thrown together their, their training programs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I think even if you look back to like any any personal training course, or even even if you study sports science or something, you'll generally like study energy systems at the start, and you'll see this nice graph where it's like 
oh, up until 10 seconds you use this, up until whatever time you use this, and then up until whatever time you use Two this. minutes. Oh, Gary, come on, get these right. Like, it's up until two minutes. Oh, you just said whatever. Ugh. Anyway, I am trying to have a discussion here. So you'll see, you'll see all those de delineations between the, the energy systems, and you're not really seeing how they actually fit together. And as a result, it's kind of hard to extract the information from that sort of way it's taught on the graph and then put it into real life when you don't exactly have those perfect time restraints there. So if we if we think about resistance training, like you were saying, like it's it's anaerobic in an effort sense, in in that when you are doing the actual set, you're moving towards that anaerobic side of things. And if you track your heart rate metrics on like if you use a heart rate monitor or anything like that, and you look at your resistance training graph, what you'll see is that it'll spike and then it'll drop off and it'll take a certain amount of time to recover to whatever the baseline was. Let's say it was 70 beats per minute during during your session. And then you'll see it spike up and it might go up to like 140 beats per minute during your set and it'll come back down. And you can use that to actually inform your training and that you can you can look to see how recovered you are between your sets and to some degree personalize your rest periods based on that. But like you were kind of alluding to, I think a lot of people don't think about it in that, you know, a lot of bodybuilders have, have always proposed that, oh, you should keep your rest periods really short, like 30 to 60 seconds or whatever. And, and that's all based on their subjective feelings of kind of feeling that, oh, I get a better pump, I get more of a burn, etc. Whereas if you actually understood that, okay, this effort that I'm putting in in my heavy sets, it's quite anaerobic, I'm going to need more time to, to kind of recover, give the aerobic system some time to kick in bring heart rate back down if you were to think about that and actually track those things then you'd realize that okay longer rest periods probably three minutes or even longer are probably going to lead to me getting better gains you know because if you understood that then you'd say all right that's 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 probably a better option and that actually is what you see play out in research from both a strength perspective and a hypertrophy perspective so it is one of those things where we have to kind of look at the science and appreciate the science as opposed to just experience and feelings, because that is what led bodybuilders to thinking, you know, all right, 30 to 60 seconds are the best rest periods, because obviously there's more feelings associated with those short rest periods in that you feel more fatigued. You feel like you have more of a burn. You feel like you have more of a pump, but they're just kind of proxy things that can take away from the actual goal which is building muscle or strength yeah which it's it's kind of ironic that bodybuilders do kind of i don't know stray towards the the 30 to 60 seconds or you know the classic 45 seconds rest period and it's like this is just making this more and more aerobic in nature and then you'll see bodybuilders being like oh do you want to do you train your cardio aerobically you're going to look like a, a marathon runner and it's like your resistance training sessions look like aerobic sessions because you're essentially just tra training the, the vascular system because all you're doing is getting a pump and you know getting blood flow to the muscle and because you're giving yourself this really incomplete rest period it just becomes even after just one set it's basically just completely aerobic because there's no chance the anaerobic system has to even like halfway recover with this 30 second rest period you're given so it's just a, an aerobic session overall which yeah it definitely has advent advantages you know and i'm not i'm not kicking it because clearly your know, bodybuilders have grown off that and especially if you're using certain types of drugs that will be an effective way to grow you know and um, but again it's 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 a stimulus and you have to understand why you're bringing that stimulus in and what that is actually 
eliciting adaptation wise and you know i always think it is funny the way bodybuilders train but then their thought process around other things with, with training like that cardio like i said like it's it's like oh yeah aerobic cardio no you're gonna lose all your gains bro no never do cardio and then you look at their training session you strap the heart rate monitor on them it's like you're just you're training aerobically you know it's like what 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 let's let's put some actual like thought process behind this and understand what you're trying to achieve but like you said gary sometimes as well i also get i'm gonna say annoyed ah it doesn't actually annoy me but i'm kind of like well duh obviously this makes sense when you look at some like sports science uh or some some sports scientists come out with studies and they go oh five minutes is better than two minutes uh for a rest period between sets and it's like any kind of rudimentary understanding of energy systems would tell you that, you know? So it's like, do you need to have a study to tell you that? And like, oh, now we need to do 10 more studies where it's like, well, is two minutes and 30 seconds better than, you know, two minutes? And and it's like, this is just, this is just junk science. It's like, you should understand energy systems and then have no need to do any of these. Yeah, okay, cool. They can definitely be an easy PhD for you to do. And I completely understand that. But realistically, it doesn't inform anything because you should already be informed on that just purely by the basis of your your understanding of, of, of energy systems as a whole, which I would presume you're using to dictate how you set up and structure your training sessions because you know that's how you decide what adaptations you are getting. Now, obviously, that's not the, the whole story because obviously there are some other things that go into it and um, like we've talked about before the biomechanics etc and stuff like that but if you're looking at the adaptations you're trying to achieve whether it's strength whether it's hypertrophy whether it's i don't know mobility we went on a mobility course <laughs> you know whatever it is you should understand energy systems and then you can understand what adaptations you're getting when you choose certain training parameters rest sets rest periods time under tension the only way you can understand any of that is if you understand energy systems would you agree gary yes but just to just to come back and partially disagree with you not to disagree with you but just to make sure that our fucking our audience don't start to hate scientists and exercise scientists what you do have to remember as well with research studies is that like yeah it's easy for me and you to sit back and say that all we have everyone should know that that's the perfect rest period but if someone was to go and design a study and they were to say all right, we want to test this sort of programming structure versus this programming structure because we want to see which is more effective. And then they include some rest period in there. There has to be some means of saying that this is actually an effective rest period to actually put in here. So you do have to sort of study it to show that it is there before you can actually move forward with the field of science because otherwise you just get stuck making assumptions based on textbooks, which hasn't led a lot of people very far sometimes and sometimes those assumptions can be incorrect yeah i, I call bull, i call bullshit on that Gary, because then you would use the exact same argument and say like oh they should be using this study that shows that this exercise is better for eliciting this adaptation which they just don't do they're just like oh we're just going to choose the bench squat deadlift because powerlifting you know so like they they, they don't care about the science themselves and they're not using like this on these researched uh, understanding of biomechanics to dictate their stuff so why would they use it to be like oh my rest period i must have a study to support that why don't they have a study to support their bench press their fucking squat because because ecological validity and it's far more difficult to standardize something like a chest press among different research studies than it would be to standardize like a bench press for example but anyway let's not argue about exercise science i'm definitely more on the side of exercise science than patty is i think he just 
he doesn't he does, doesn't agree with me there but anyway let's move on what did you ask me before that i can't even remember i just basically said what did i say oh, we were talking about uh rest periods and i was saying like you know obviously you use the the understanding of energy systems to dictate all your your training parameters and stuff yes sir yes sir and and it's not do you think this is a good way to segue into nutrition or do you want to talk about more training stuff first now we'll talk about a little bit more on training and then we'll we'll get into yeah we have to do both because i want to i want to talk about these marathon runners as well yes right so gary you you went for a run the other day yes i did so i i went for a run yesterday i ran like 30k because it's just just for health you know um i'm not i'm not a runner by the way that was just me being stupid and just doing that because the weather was nice um but yeah I, th- I think one of the one of the big the big misconceptions about marathon running is that people like i'm say, i say marathon running i mean just endurance running in general is that people often think that it is a low intensity type of exercise you know and, and you'll see this all the time where people will like bodybuilders will say things like oh never do low intensity cardio because you'll look like a marathon runner and it's like there's actually about 12 holes in that argument in the first place but like one of the things is that like marathon running isn't exactly a low intensity activity like you know if if you were to go out and run a marathon and you're and you're fit like your average heart rate might be around like 160 beats per minute which is which is moderate it's in the moderate range and like it's by no means low intensity and and this leads to a lot of assumptions about nutritional practices that are potentially not so great either you know in that a lot of people assume that oh because it's a low intensity type of exercise which is kind of not that we should just eat fat instead of carbohydrates when in fact the it is still a very very highly carbohydrate dependent activity you know and and once you're once you're above like 60 percent of your vo2 max which is most most activities or even a little bit lower than that you're, you're going to be very much dependent on carbohydrates for fuel and i know you just said not to go into nutrition but i accidentally did but <laughs> no but it's a good it's, it's a good segue you know because especially with just because you mentioned that vo2 max like if you do become a more fat adapted athlete like you will actually require more oxygen well theoretically i don't know if it's actually been shown around these studies but apparently we need studies to show these things but yeah theoretically speaking you would need more oxygen to be a fat adapted athlete so you would be breathing more which would throw off your running economy as well. But again, that's all theoretical, so Gary won't agree with that. But anyway, back to <laughs> the the marathon runners. You know, marathon running is actually an interesting one, right? And it also comes back to, then we can segue this into the nutritional stuff because marathon running is actually, I would argue, more closely related to resistance training than people make it out to be because it's in this weird in-between area where you're not in the, these lower, these we'll call them purely aerobic systems. You're not in these lower levels of heart rate that you could easily uh, fuel uh, with fat, you know? Like, it, it's not that your heart rate is so low. Like, say if you were a race walker, you know, and your heart rate was quite low. I don't know, maybe race walkers actually do get their heart rates up quite high. We'll just say you're a competitive walker, okay? <laughs> um, and your heart rate generally stays quite low. You know, you still put in a lot of work, but your heart rate is staying quite low throughout the whole thing. Being like this keto or fat adapted athlete then, yeah, per- perfect. No worries about that. I actually, you know, maybe that's a better approach. I don't know if, well, like I haven't looked into enough of the pathways of the required sports, but, you know, maybe that's perfect. It is this real, truly low intensity work, walking, right? You know, we, we can argue, yeah, fat adapted, 
let's do that. That's probably a better one for you to be at, you know? But then you look at like marathon running and you say, like you will say use that 160-ish kind of beats per minute for your your marathon run. You know, you were probably around that. I think you said you were at 163 or your app said you were at 163 for an average heart rate for your, your 30 km run. Um, so like... But I'm I'm unfit as well. So. Yeah, but like we'll, we'll just say that. Like we'll, I I do actually remember reading a study. It's it's somewhere around there anyway. That you know marathon marathon runners are up in that kind of medium heart rate zone, and it's like you look at your average resistance training session, and you look at the average heart rate, pretty similar. You know, like you're probably up at 140, maybe dipping below that. A few heavy sets, especially the the higher volume and heavier weight. Like you do a, like a heavy set of 12 you know, you, your heart rate's going to get up there, um, but it, it's heavy enough to still be anaerobic, you know, so, you know, you, your heart rate still gets up, and it's maybe 140-ish on average through a training session, especially if you're not quite fit, and you, you know, maybe you're doing some different practices like drop sets and stuff like that, you know, um, but anyway, we'll say if you get rid of all the lows, the rest periods, you know, your average heart rate, it's it's 140. You know, definitely 140 for resistance training, something like that. So it's closer to that marathon running than it is to the the, the cardio practices, like these really low intensity cardio practices, or even hit training. Because you know, I've seen people get their heart rate up to like 190 on hit training. And it's like, <laughs> um, so. You, but you overall, you look at that, and obviously, that's a little bit of a false equivalency because it's not quite the same as like marathon running is consistent and that's what you want with getting heart adaptations. You know, you, you need that consistent, steady state almost, you know, to get the, the contractility of the heart and all those adaptations there, vascular system, etc. And um, But yeah, you look at it overall and you, your marathon running isn't that different than resistance training, which again kind of begs the question, like people say, oh, well, I'm going to fuel my resistance training carbohydrates right? And it's like, oh, I need the carbohydrates. And this again, you said it as well before we went on, you know, with, with powerlifters as well, they're like, oh, I need to be, you know, hammering carbohydrates, you know, I need them, I need them to fuel my session. And like, you look at the actual energetic demands of powerlifting. And, you know, I'd almost argue that a powerlifter could do better on like a, a fat adapted diet than a marathon runner would do on a fat adapted diet you know because again like you look at that and if we actually did the, the true averages of your heart rate as a powerlifter like you're doing a heavy set of three you know and you just let your heart rate get all the way back down to normal could have gone up to 160 180 i know you're on a load of drugs and your eye, eyes are bulging everywhere everything high blood pressure you know gets up to 180 right you still wait to 10 minutes until you do your next set goes down to whatever your resting heart rate is you know so overall you're in this very low state and most of your sets are not lasting more than 30 seconds maybe so it's this very anaerobic hit but then a bucket load of time to to aerobically recover that you know so people saying oh i need my carbohydrates for powerlifting it's kind of like man if anything i would say you you could be more of an ideal candidate to be fat adapted than the marathon runner because the marathon runners in this like 160 uh, heartbeat range where it's it's not that like race walker or whatever walker uh, person and it's not really low where it's like yeah you could definitely be fat adapted because your average heart rate your average you know energy requirements are or energy system requirements are on that aerobic side you know you're in this real moderate range where it's like you basically need everything to be firing on all cylinders you need to have 
topped up carbohydrates. So when you've got that little bit of a dash, you can be like, boom, I'm purely anaerobic here. I'm fucking making that sprint, passing the next person out. And then you want to go, okay, I'm going to drop the pace back a little bit and be more aerobic. But you're, you're on average, you're in this kind of in-between where you're, humans are actually really shit at that in-between stuff, you know, where it's like you're not truly aerobic, you know, and you're not truly anaerobic. You're in this moderate range. And that's why marathon running is actually quite hard, you know. Like you'll see people that are like, oh, I love sprinting. You know, it's like, fuck, they're really good at sprinting. And, you know, it's like, even like you say, people are really good at, like you say, in Bolt and stuff, they're like, you know, 400 meters. I think he's just like, nah, I wouldn't touch it. It's too aerobic, you know? And again, it comes down to what we were talking about in that previous episode, you know, the more you train these different things, it's like, obviously you get these adaptations and then these adaptations preclude you from doing other things because, you know, you, you've adapted to say the aerobic or the anaerobic side of things and you get this more sympathetic dominance and whatever all that kind of nervous system adaptations from that which kind of makes it harder on the aerobic side of things uh, because you don't have the vascular system to support the muscle that you've built you don't have the, the heart to support the muscle that you've built unless of course you have been doing lots of aerobic work in in the meantime but yeah overall like our, uh, marathon running is in this really really fucking weird place where it's like I'm not truly aerobic and I'm not truly anaerobic, you know, and running especially is really weird in terms of like human evolution, because like, obviously, like people like to make these things up and like say like, oh, we're anaerobic beasts, you know, that's what we should do. You know, we should lift weights really fast and that's it. And then rest loads. And people are like, oh, on the other side of things, it's like, no, no, we should be aerobic beasts. And like, we used to like, you know, hunt down prey, you know, we'd hit them with a spear and then let them kind of bleed out over fucking 10 hours while we chase them, you know? And it's like, yeah, like it, we're, we're, we're kind of in between both of those things. Like we want to have both of those pathways to be able to survive. Like, especially as a, an animal that can be predated, you know, it, like there's predators that can kill humans. And like, you want to be able to have that anaerobic system be like, boom, I'm fucking sprinting the fuck out of here, getting out of this bear's den that I just accidentally walked into, you know? And the same thing with the, the being able to run down prey like you want to have that aerobic system that you're really good at just running down prey you know for you could run for 10 hours but you're actually basically just above a walk pace you're not actually like at a, a marathon prey pace like you're not doing like whatever five or six minute miles i don't know what a pace a, a marathon is i can't remember off the top of my head but you're, you're not at that at that pace you know yeah it's definitely not five minute miles fuck for a marathon that'd be mad <laughs> um but you're not you're not at that like kind of medium pace you're at this like pace where it's like you're basically just over a trot like you're just kind of like chugging along nicely you know the animal's gonna bleed out anyway like you just have to stay on its trail you know so humans have really got those those two systems really up to date. They're firing both of them, perfect. And um, but that moderate system, man, like it's kind of like, mm, should I do this? Should I do this? And um, so so it is one of those things when you look at it through an evolutionary lens. It's like, yeah, like this. It probably is a case for having this kind of phasic training, which again, like you, you look at like evolution, and like I just said, you want to have these two kind of approaches where like sometimes you want to be able to hunt prey in this anaerobic manner. Like humans, again, we said it before, like have probably the best movement capacity of any animal in the world. That's why we are top of the food chain. Um, but like you, you look at any other animal, like what other animal can throw things with like precision, you know? So that's, that's an anaerobic process. Like pick up a spear, pick up a rock, 
fucking throw it and hit a hit a rabbit or something like you want to be able to do that that's an anaerobic process but at the same time you know if it's if it's rabbit hunting season yeah you want to be able to do that but if it's deer hunting season and uh, you want to be able to do that and then aerobically chase that deer down for 10 hours you know so it probably does have a, a a validation for having some more phasic training but anyway i digress uh with the with the nutrition stuff this is again where like marathon running and stuff becomes into it's kind of fucked up in terms of people give out all these recommendations and it, it goes with all training systems it's like you give out these dietary recommendations that don't actually support the sport that you're doing like people saying like oh you should be a fat adapted marathon runner like if you actually run marathons, like you, you want to have that kick in your step. And this is not to say you can't be a fat-adapted athlete. And definitely some people, they probably do do better as a fat-adapted athlete, you know. But that's just down to, like, you shouldn't base things off these outliers, you know. Um, but, yeah, so <sighs> marathon running and those kind of medium-intensity ones are in this really, really fucking weird pathway where it's like you're not quite anaerobic, you're not quite aerobic. So fueling it, you know, I, in, in my books, like I'm looking at, like, a mix between carbohydrates and fats so is that your experience gary um yeah and and just to, if you if you ever want to like get a good practical understanding of of energy systems you should actually try and do a long distance run at our own that mid intensity paddy's talking about where you are actually kind of on that verge of all right i'm kind of i'm doing aerobic work but i'm kind of tipping into anaerobic because like i even found that yesterday when i was running because it's it's the longest distance i've ran and you really, do, I, I joked on Instagram saying all you need is a few mitochondria and the ability to control your emotions. And that ability to control your emotions is actually ridiculously important because there was a few times where I was, I was running and I was like, you know, getting a bit too excited and fucking going up a hill and just picking up the pace. And then you're just like, oh shit. Like, and you have to slow down so significantly there, thereafter for a while because you've, what, what you essentially do is dig into your anaerobic metabolism a little bit too much and as a result your heart rate shoots your heart rates just shooting up and you need to get that back down or else you essentially cannot keep going because at that point you are going to get fatigued far far sooner and the reason i say like controlling your emotions is because one like you need to be able to not get too excited control your pace like that part of things but also you don't want to be this type of hyper vigorous person like like a like a power lifter for example getting amped up for a lift because you're essentially just propagating a a stress response that is going to push you more into that anaerobic side of things so so marathon running and long distance running it is an it is an interesting thing in in that sense and you should try it out <laughs> just to, even a 10k but you were right also about that but it's actually it's it's actually it's actually really good as well because you'll almost feel like you're saying there when you switch systems you know like you'll feel from going from this aerobic system into this anaerobic system and especially if you do it and like you hit the wall like that's like you know when you see people like oh i hit the wall like you can actually see or you if you do it yourself you can actually feel this switch over in systems and go like right i've run out of glycogen what the fuck do i do now you know now obviously you haven't run out of glycogen totally and like there are obviously processes that your body can go through to you know get more glycogen uh gluconeogenesis and all that kind of stuff uh but y y if you experience that you kind of know oh fuck that's what it feels like if if it was truly this on off system like you see in books where it's like one to ten seconds is this and then from there to two minutes it's this like if it was truly that on off system 
man, after two minutes of exercise, you'd be like, boom, hit the wall, boom. <laughs> you know? Anyway, continue, Gary. But yeah, like you kind of touched on it there as well and remind me, but like after about like once I had gone past like 25 kilometers, there was that sort of feeling where I'm not sure. I, I can't really, I can't flick the switch anymore. And, and I was looking at my, my heart rate and it, it was, it actually brought down my average because toward up until about 20, from about 20 to 25, it was like all 160, between 160 and 170. I was after pushing into that anaerobic zone and I was like, fuck, it's actually getting difficult to kind of control this now. I also did it fasted, which was really stupid. I got some carbohydrates along the way, but once I got to that last 5k, my heart rate was just down to 150 and I, there was not like, there was no more room to actually get back up there. And that is actually a really cool objective way of seeing like when you, you've, you've dug into your anaerobic metabolism too much and you essentially like, you're not really able to get in there anymore because again, it is, it is a more limited thing that you have to be careful to put this, put step on the gas with, because again, we are those, there's aerobic animals that, as you were alluding to, but as well, you were right about that that um that marathon time. It is it is around five and a half five and a half to six minute miles would make you pretty elite, you know, because five minute miles are ju- just under the two hour mark, and no one's quite there yet. Although Nike did start a campaign to try and cheat their way there. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, I was th- I was thinking that I was thinking that I was like, man, oh yeah, four, a four minute mile is like fucking legendary, and I was like, surely they're not doing just five minute miles. Like obviously, a five minute mile is grand. <laughs> it's, not, it's grand yeah uh i, I was like I'm sure you're not doing like 26 five minute miles i was like Fine, that'd be fucking decent like shit no i actually counted around yeah people can do fucking five minute miles 26 by five is what like 130 that's two hours 10 minutes people can do that yeah there's a few people not very many yeah, but pe- people are fucking awesome no it's ridiculous but anyway before we get sidetracked even further i suppose our message is that when it comes to the longer distance running like carbohydrates are most definitely your friend and one of the reasons that people do get confused with the whole the whole fat adaptation thing is that there are there is some research that people sort of manipulate in their favor that is misleading because you can look at people who are fat adapted and you'll see things like oh fat adapted athletes uh, have greater times to exhaustion and and, that, and like that is a blanket statement you're like oh shit so I, I can go longer if I'm fat adapted. But the whole point is that the goal is not to work yourself all the way all the way to exhaustion and see who can go the longest because it is about the performance in the meantime before you get exhausted that actually dictates sports performance. So when you look at that, carbohydrate-based athletes are going to actually do better from a performance perspective. So that is one of those things that people will kind of hoodwink you with. And again, like Paddy alluded to, it's not a it, like it's not to say that there aren't outliers because realistically there probably are outliers who just have certain enzymatic deficiencies that they just work better with you know fat as opposed to carbohydrates and you know it kind of brings us on to the I don't know if you want to talk about the whole train low compete high thing Paddy because I know you had some some thoughts about that and you like that sort of stuff do you want to talk about that or yeah, in one second but yeah I actually just thought of a great sport like and you could just have people like they do with the rats in those studies to time to exhaustion things and just basically plop them out in the middle of the sea and be like, right, you guys are going to tread water or swim until you're exhausted. Till you, you know, obviously don't let them die. Like literally don't let them die. Like they can give up if they want. But like that's what that's what people think when they read these studies. They're like, Oh, time to exhaustion. They they fucking had they they literally did three hours extra than these other rats that were doing these carbohydrate diets and it's like, Yeah, but you you're actually in a race. 
you know, <laughs> like you you want to you want to get a good time. It's not just like can I actually survive this this, this marathon? Like I presume you want to get a good time. So you know, being top of top of your performance stuff is probably you know carbohydrates are probably going to get you there. And that's obviously to say like you just oh just hammer the carbohydrates, forget about fat. It's like no, nah, like you want to have both systems equally as efficient as possible which again like what like you were saying there guy you know this is where you get stuff like you know train low compete high and different different strategies where basically you know you train fasted or you train in a low carbohydrate state so you essentially don't give your body what you need um, but need in inverted commas and um, but you don't give your body what it wants to be performing at its best so that you actually get an adaptation that is favorable down the line. Like if you're constantly competing in this low, or not competing in this low state, training in this low state, um, and teaching your body to be more efficient with its fat stores, teaching your body to be more efficient and spare glycogen, teaching your body to be more efficient uh, at actually, you know, essentially upgrading the, the metabolic and the mitochondrial machinery that will allow you to use fats for fuel, you know, if you can if you can train and get those adaptations, then when you get into another system where you're actually fueling yourself correctly, you would hope that those adaptations would carry over and give you a slight advantage. You know, so that's where those strategies kind of come from. And again, it makes sense insofar as you know we do it with resistance training. Like, say you're I don't know a boxer or something. You know, you start training the incline bench press because you're like, oh, I want to get a better or a stronger punch and that's more of the 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 kind of plane of motion that you're going to be punching in and it's like yeah okay i'm going to hope that these adaptations that i get these strength adaptations that i get from resistance training transfer over to this 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 sport that i play you know um so like we do it in other things so people doing it in these more cardiovascular sports like it makes sense why they would do them um but yeah, however, that's, uh, that we probably should do an entire podcast on cardiovascular stuff rather than just kind of half-heartedly doing it here. But back to the, the nutrition stuff. So yeah, using energy systems to inform your overall nutrition strategies is a good idea. So what, what, what you should take away from this on the nutrition side of things is look at what energy systems you are using in your training sessions or you are using in your day-to-day -day life. And that'll help you dictate how you should break down your macronutrients. Because obviously at the end of the day, calories are king, right? But that actually doesn't give you a huge amount of information. So calories are king. Cool. Awesome. We can all get down with that unless you don't believe in the second law of thermodynamics. Um, but yeah, so we can all agree calories are king. Obviously we're using it in this system where there's other inputs, outputs that maybe we can't account for, but it gives you a ballpark figure to work off of. Um, and then you can go, okay, I need X amount of protein because I'm doing X amount of resistance training. I weigh X amount and I'm doing X amount of cardiovascular training or whatever it is. So generally, we'll just say you're in that somewhere in that ballpark. I always get this fucked up, Gary. So you're going to have to jump in, make sure it's correct. But that uh, one, one to three grams per kilo. One to three. Uh, yeah, right. I, I suppose you could say one. One would be pretty low, but yeah, one to three grams per kilo. <laughs> we, we're, we're somewhere in there we're somewhere we can say 1.8 to 3.3 you know but you're you're somewhere in that range of one to three grams per kilo depending on whatever you have going on preferences etc you know i'd be happy enough if you were somewhere in in that kind of especially if you were in that kind of 
moderate to high range, I'd be like, yeah, cool. You're all, everything's looked after. And then you can start going, okay, well, how many fat or how much even, how much fat do I need to actually cover my basal needs? And like, you only need like two to three grams of essential fats, you know? So then from there, you can start delineating going, okay, well, what, what predominant energy system am I using? And obviously that's ignoring a few other things as well, especially around the fat intake, because, you know, I probably wouldn't just go like, well, I'm a severely carbohydrate uh, dominant athlete. So I'm just going to have my three uh, grams of essential fatty acids. Like, obviously that's, that's pretty stupid as well. You know, we do need fats for other things, even though like, again, with all things in the body, like the body is pretty efficient, you know, it'll make it itself. However, if it has to make it itself, you're running at a, an inefficient system as a whole. Because again, just think of it like a factory. If the factory has everything brought to it and it's there and it's like, cool, we can just go straight ahead with production, energy, cool. Whereas if your factory goes, oh, fuck, man, we need some, I know, lipids for to make this lipid bilayer to do this, make this machine work. And then they have to go back and make the lipid bilayer and then put it in place. It's like, obviously that is a lot more work for your body to do rather than you just going, well, here you go. Here's some juicy-ass lipids, you know? <laughs> um, so, obviously, you do need more than that. But, you know, we're just saying whatever it is, you can start using it. Like, I like somewhere in that 0.6 to 1 gram per kilo range for fats. Uh, and then after that, then you can start going, right, where am I with my respect to my overall calories? And then where am I with, my, with respect to my overall energetic demands uh, as a whole? Like, am I doing a sport that is really you know carbohydrate dominant am i doing something that you know like like marathon running or something that it's going to use a lot of carbohydrates to to get me through these these longer sessions what intensity level am i at overall maybe you can bring in some strategies like that training low competing high um but you still want to be able especially with those longer duration ones you still want to be able to use the other system so it's not like oh well i'm just going to do this and this is me stuck like this. I'm I'm a carb athlete for life now, you know. Like you still want to be able to be metabolically flexible and switch between the two. And this is also to bear in mind, especially if you are looking to change your body composition, which I know a lot of people are. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, so choose choose your your carbohydrates, choose your fats, depending on where you are in the whole spectrum, where your sport demands, what your your training demands are, what your life demands are and make the targets from there. But yeah, with respect to the, the body composition stuff, you know, like you still obviously want to have the machinery to make energy from fats, you know? And like, we can go theoretically, like you will have a hard enough time losing fat if you aren't actually able to process fat and use it for energy, right? And I don't want people to misinterpret what I'm saying there and say, oh, because I, I'm in fat ad ad adapted, adapted even uh because i am on fat adapted i can't lose fat i'm just i'm fucked you know that, that's obviously not what i'm saying i'm just saying it's going to be you're going to have a harder time losing fat and liberating that fat like not so much in the the energy side of things but you will be constantly hitting this kind of wall where you will feel hungrier and you will feel like your body is undernourished because you're not actually able to produce the energy efficiently from the stored fat that you have so it's not so much that you physically won't be able to lose fat it's more so that you're just more likely to break your diet because you're just going to constantly feel like you're in this this energy deficit you know and there's two things you can do about that 
you can first of all either do what like some people call especially like prep coaches call like a prep before the prep and you do stuff like get your your hormones in line whatever the fuck they're doing for that (laughs) and you get you get your 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 mindset and stuff in line because again like that obviously does play into this stuff as well i don't mean just like your mindset like oh i fucking love myself and all that i mean like you know you're you you actually have your your psychology your physiology aligned like you actually are able to manage stress and stuff like that you know um and then obviously you have some sort of aerobic base because if you have an aerobic base you're going to be able to use fats more efficiently as fuel you know so if you can get your heart resting heart rate down like low enough whatever i like to kind of 45 to 60 range i know some people are like oh well it's what we can go higher than that i'm like yeah well i'm looking to more optimize people you know so they can actually find things a little bit easier you know 70 is probably probably grand i probably would go lower i would try i would probably try to get it like a good good place to be at would be 55 if you're a general population and your resting heart rate is 55 cool you are on to a winner you know you can you can do a little bit more training and more cardiovascular training try get it a little bit lower but you know maybe it's not required you're still going to find fat loss relatively easy as your heart rate is on the lower end of things um but yeah just having that machinery having those processes still ticking along where you're actually aerobically able to burn fat will facilitate you actually being able to transform your body composition much quicker you know and again you'll find you're not as hungry throughout the day because you know this liberated fats that you have from fast stores will be able to be used as energy just a little bit more efficiently and again i don't want people to get this twisted and think like oh i'm not aerobically fit i have to do all this cardiovascular work before i can lose fat again it's not what i'm saying like energy energy balance still wins at the end of the day you're just i'm just talking about having the enzymatic machinery there in place so that you can make this a little bit easier and not feel like you're hungry all the time you know um just because your body's actually more efficient in using energy and um, so yeah like personally i like to see people at least when they're trained with me as their clients i like to see their heart rate going down for a number of reasons and again you can look at it with the with respect to the overall stress psychology all that kind of stuff you know we can look we, we touched on i think in the last one about fatigue and stuff or maybe we didn't um but you look at the the overall like sympathetic dominance of that anaerobic system you know so you're going to burn through carbohydrates and this is what you'll see people who are really highly stressed as well they're just constantly looking for those carbohydrates they're like i need my carbohydrate fix and obviously this is the whole like there's this whole psychological we'll call it stuff on 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 that kind of side of things as well you know where it's like oh well it gives you a better dopamine hit and all that kind of stuff you know probably choosing foods where you grew up with like i don't know cocoa pops or something it reminds you of your youth i I don't know whatever so there is that whole psychological side of things as well but if you are in this high sympathetic state remember that that sympathetic stuff is aligned with that more anaerobic side of things which is aligned with that more carbohydrate side of things so you know if you are highly stressed and you're you're in that kind of sympathetic dominance it makes sense why you reach for the carbohydrate stuff because you're just fueling that that energy system. Your body's giving you the signal saying, man, there's an anaerobic demand here. And you're going, well, here's something that's going to fuel this anaerobic system. So if you can get fitter and you can get your resting heart rate down, you're not only going to find your psychology or whatever you want to call it, shift to this more parasympathetic or your more rest and digest type thing. You're more relaxed, but also you're going to see that fat loss is that little bit easier. So this is, again, you know, when people talk about... Uh, the whole stress side of things like it, it is it is a factor that plays into it is a factor that plays into the overall stuff so that you know maybe you don't 
need to necessarily be stress-free to lose fat, but it's going to help things along because you're not going to have these constant cravings for carbohydrates. Well, maybe you will, but you're not going to have as big cravings for carbohydrates. You're going to have the metabolic machinery that will allow you to actually you know, utilize and produce energy from the fat that you're liberating from your fat stores. And, and overall, you're just going to have an easier time. So, you know, that's, that's why we do recommend doing some cardiovascular work after your training. You know, we could get into the, the subtle nuances of how much and when should you do it and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're kind of at the hour mark as is. So I don't want to spend another hour talking about cardiovascular plans of action and stuff like that. So, Gary, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I'm going to wrap it up there. Gary, his screen is broken. I don't know what's wrong with him. Um, but yeah, if you do want more information, again, you know where we are. We're Triage Method on Facebook, Instagram, all those good stuffs, those social medias. <clears throat> um, obviously, we have the militia. That's where we obviously do the deep dive on all the scientific stuff. I know we kind of rambled today. It's late. I've been out in the sun all day. Probably have sunstroke. Who knows? Um but yeah, guys, if you want to listen, hear, read more, the militia is where you need to be. Um, the link is in the description down below. So if you haven't checked it out before, I do recommend you check it out now. Um, other than that, guys, again, you can drop in your questions. Gary was supposed to do a uh, one of the, the smaller discussion episodes, but he just balled it this week. But we will have a few more over the coming weeks. Um, so still keep getting your questions in, and we will get through them. Anyway, guys. Peace out.